Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast for The Lancet. It's September 2020. I'm Gavin Cleaver. Recently, we published a major paper for the Global Burden of Disease, which is our comprehensive statistical guide to epidemiological levels and trends worldwide. This particular study aims to assess the worldwide spread of universal health coverage. Later on, you'll hear me speak with Professor Margaret Crook, who wrote the accompanying comment to the paper. But first, Lancet Senior Editor Jessamy Bagginal spoke with Professor Raphael Lozano, one of the authors of the GBD study, about his paper. Hi, Dr. Lanzano, it's uh, so nice of you to join us. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about um, where you're working and, and what your kind of role is. Uh, my name is Rafael Lozano. I work in the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington. My work is in charge of the health systems area. And uh, besides that, I do all the typical things that an academical professor do at the university. And you've written a paper um, which is being published in the Lancet Public Health um, about universal health coverage. And I suppose one of the interesting things about, or not interesting, but terrible things about COVID-19 is that it has exposed the quality of, of universal health coverage in different countries. Why is it important to measure universal health coverage? Well, universal health coverage is one of the important commitments that the country signed in 2015 related with the Sustainable Development Goals. So it's one of the SDGs. And for that, it's important to track in order to help countries to improve uh, the quality of care and the access to care. And uh, we did this exercise trying to incorporate how the health systems can uh, really achieve quality of care measuring health outcomes or health gains. So at the moment, how do we measure universal health coverage? Uh, uh, different ways to, 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 to measure universal health coverage. Uh, by definition, universal health coverage has two components. One component is the service coverage, and the other component is the financial risk protection or financial hardship. And uh, the exercise, and usually uh, different organizations uh, made, is uh, related with uh, service coverage. There are exercises from the World Health Organization, published in 2017, or another exercise for the World Bank and collaborators, published recently. Uh, we, uh, IHME, did uh, a measurement related with SDG uh, in the 2017 exercise, but all of them are more related with the MDGs, or with maternal and child care, unless in non-communicable diseases or measuring health gains as, as we are doing now. And obviously those are incredibly important factors um, when you're considering healthcare. Um, so what is it that, um, that this analysis does differently? Is it just the incorporation of that more broader sort of range of health coverage? 
Well, the, there are several differences. One is that this study is not uh, using only access to interventions like uh, the others. Uh, in some way, other uh, measurements are more uh, uh, dependent of uh, household health surveys. We are using a different uh, approach. We are combining coverage uh, uh, interventions, but also we are using incidence mortality ratio to approach uh, and calculate the health gains. So at the end of the day, the, the, the difference are related with the increase of uh, indicators uh, related with non-communicable diseases. Second, the assessment of uh, quality of care using uh, health gains. And the third one is uh, validating the how good is the approach of this uh, measurement, of this index comparing with the other two. And it's, I mean, it's quite a dense piece of work. There's, you know, lots of graphs and tables. Perhaps you might be able to just briefly summarise what you what you found. Well, the the key takeaways is uh, the performance of UHC effective coverage uh, was improved from 1990 to 2019, but the pace of progress and levels achieved by 2019. Uh, is different uh, across regions and countries. In some places, such as uh, Latin America or Sub-Saharan Africa, we have uh, more progress in recent years. There are different explanations uh, related with that. Uh, could be the effort that countries uh, made related with NDGs, improving the uh, maternal and child care, or the increase of uh, health expenditure that also uh, affects positive the universal uh, effective health coverage. Um, the acceleration uh, in the progress that we need to achieve the goal and the global, the general program of health and the WHO is proposing for 2023 is another uh, result of our study. And in some way, we have uh, good news in the way that we are increasing the coverage and not good news in the number of people of population equivalents that we are estimating. However, the good news are the majority of this uh, increase of the uh, universal uh, effective coverage co is coming from uh, Sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. So finally, based in our analysis of health and spending uh, UHC effective coverage performance, we believe that there is a threshold around $1,400 US dollars per capita in the equivalent of PPP or purchase uh, capacity of purchase, and uh, that means that at that level we can achieve 80%. Uh, but also, at some stage, is not only increasing the money. 
money matters, but also is increasing the efficiency of the use of the money. And that's why there are countries that are not performing so good because they are spending a lot of money. And there are countries that are performing better with less money. And I guess that that sort of goes to that wider issue of what, of how we don't really have sort of universal benchmarking or or outcomes in, in, in different countries to be able to compare that sort of efficiency. But I'm interested to know, what do you think um, have been some of the, the big issues that, that COVID-19 has kind of thrown up or or revealed about universal health coverage? Well, uh, I was prepared for that question because if we don't speak about COVID-19, we are out of scope. First of all, we did this study before COVID-19. So it's important to consider that because at least for the future, we have a very good target to achieve. How is the impact of COVID-19 for universal health coverage? It is, uh, and uh, there are many, many uh, explanations now, even WHO did a survey with big effect in the uh, gathered treatment for non-communicable diseases, another uh, impact that is happening with uh, uh, the health system is uh, some uh, people don't go to the health system due to the uh, threat to be infected and uh, and sometimes postpone or delay the, the, the treatments or gathering vaccines for the kids or gathering uh, uh, contraceptives, which uh, in some way is creating diverse effects in the, in the world, uh, in different countries. But for, for me, the most important is how we should incorporate preparedness. It is because we need to be able to measure the resilience of the health systems, even for these complicated conditions. And resilience is not only uh, how the health systems are performing with beds or ventilators, things like that. It's more complicated than that. It's, it's keeping the trust with the population. And, 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 and second, really gathering the information that is needed to make decisions. So so it's, it's quite surprising the lack of data that this uh, COVID-19 show to the, to, to the, to the world. It's, it's not a good world, and you can edit this, but uh, the COVID-19 put naked the health information system of the countries and show a very, very lack of uh, performance. That's really interesting. Thank you so much, Rafael. It's really lovely to speak to you. I, I think those are all the things that I wanted to cover. I don't know if there's anything else that you'd like to speak to. Well, I I, I like to add that uh, we did this exercise to help, to help uh, WHO in the general program that the general director is, is uh, proposing to the the period, uh, the first uh, five years of uh, uh, his mandate. Second, we did this to help countries to, to do the benchmark and see how the performance can be improved. And we also incorporate indicators using a framework that cover different levels of care and also 
trying to accomplish the cycle of life. So uh, we are trying to incorporate the holistic vision of the definition for universal health coverage in our measurements. It's a very worthy cause. Thank you for that. Thank you to Jessamy and to Raphael. Subsequently, I spoke with Professor Margaret Crook about Raphael's work to assess what makes universal healthcare so vital and the best way we can measure its effectiveness and its spread. Uh, Professor Margaret Crook, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, so you've written the uh, comment that goes alongside the universal healthcare paper that we spoke about with, with Raphael. So thinking about that paper, what are some of the issues with trying to measure effective health coverage in the way that this paper goes for it? Yeah, so um, great to be with you. And I, I also very much enjoyed reading um, that paper and studying the methods. Um, I think the, uh, the paper tries to do something quite heroic and quite important, which is to understand whether uh, people accessing services are getting health benefits from those services. And I, I think that is a fundamental shift in our thinking about um, health systems and about health services. And it's about time that we made that shift. So in other words, a shift from counting contacts and counting visits to understanding um, and trying to estimate health benefits from those visits. Um, that's not an easy task. Uh, it's not easy conceptually because it's not as if every visit to a doctor will automatically yield health benefits. Many visits, you know, take uh, years to to manifest in better health. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, that's it's not it's not straightforward to make that linkage conceptually. Um, but also, uh, I think as the paper and the authors acknowledge, uh, measuring those benefits is extremely hard in a uh, uh, low data and low data quality environment where they're attempting to do so. And so, yeah, you talk in your comment, uh, talking about alternatives as well, about the importance of health system resilience. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, I, I think uh, it's uh, an incredibly topical um, uh, subject, obviously, right now, the notion that health systems um, have several goals in order to prove themselves as a worthwhile institution to fund. Uh, and to trust. And uh, one of those, and then that the heart of health system resilience is the notion that health systems are capable of responding to a crisis while maintaining core operations and adapting their functions uh, to meet the moment. Um, so that concept really uh, brings, obviously COVID has brought that uh, whole notion into sharp focus. The, the idea that it's not good enough just to be measuring you know, how we do for, for um, mothers, children, uh, people with hypertension, but also is the system able to pivot and react when uh, people with, uh, um, you know, suffering from, an, from a, a, a viral outbreak uh, come in. And critically, and I would add here critically, can the system continue to provide essential services while that's underway? All of those pieces together are what people expect in the health system and really not much less. So we're talking, I guess, about um, measuring health systems in a, in a way to assess the quality of them. What do you think, in a sense, the, the ultimate goal that we're going for is here? What are we looking for in in, in universal healthcare? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually think asking what the health system is for is is really the starting point, right? Because then we build it to achieve that. And I think sometimes in health systems, we've started uh, in the middle as trying to improve uh, current services and current functions. But let's take a step back. Uh, you know, in the work we did a few years ago with the Lancet Global Health Commission on high quality health systems, 
we talked about the health system as having uh, three main aims. Um, the first is to provide health services of sufficient uh, quality that they can improve health and, and prevent disease. Uh, second, systems that people um, have confidence in and will trust in and will go to. And third, systems that can adapt in the face of a new challenge. Uh, so to, to us, I think those three elements are what we should be building health systems for. How can universal healthcare kind of be better modeled to, to work for individuals? You mentioned this in your comment, but um, tell us a little bit about the kind of building UHC to make it work for individuals. Yeah, I think really a great point. Universal health coverage um, is uh, uh, often uh, been very preoccupied in measuring averages and measuring uh, performance uh, of the whole system for everyone. And I think that's important. Um, you know, it, it, it's a, a quick, uh, perhaps at a glance, a way of understanding, you know, in, in what's happening in the population. Uh, and what the services uh, uh, being provided uh, are, are. However, uh, we are able to find many instances across countries, including the one I'm sitting in right now, United States, where you can have tremendous uh, uh, quality, uh, high quality health services, even excellent access to those services for pockets of the population and massive deprivation, uh, both in terms of access, but also increasingly in terms of uh, quality. So people have access to something, but it's just very, very weak in other parts of the population. And of course, on average, that may look quite acceptable. Uh, and so what we um, speak to in our comments with my co-authors is that uh, you really don't have a, a, a sufficient sense of progress on universal health coverage without disaggregation by income, by gender, uh, potentially by ethnicity or geographic location. So this method's not perfect, and you talk, of course, about the kind of data gaps, especially in the low-income settings around the world, but how important is it that we try and make these kind of, as you said, heroic measures? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the, 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 uh, the, the motivation and the uh, direction of travel is exactly right, that we should be asking health systems for more. We should be asking health systems to, again, justify the investment, uh, to demonstrate value to populations. Um, and so collecting health benefits that are related to health systems, I think, is, is the way of the future. And I think this paper uh, does do that. Uh, what we find, however, and this is definitely not limited to this paper alone, we've used the same data with the same limitations in previous work ourselves, is that what we find when we look at the underlying data, the, the basis for conclusions around universal health coverage effectiveness, for example, effective coverage, is that there, there are more data gaps than real data often, particularly when it comes to conditions in, uh, that are not the traditional sort of global health uh, bucket, you know, outside of maternal and child health, uh, perhaps outside of some of the infectious diseases, the conditions that are today preying on populations, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa and India uh, and, and many parts of the world um, have, have long shifted to non-communicable diseases, mental health, trauma. Not to say that the first, uh, the first group is dealt with, but when we start to look at utilization and certainly quality of the services in that second group, uh, we find very little. Um, I mean, mental health is a perfect example. It's one of the most prevalent depression, anxiety, especially in this moment, are some of the most prevalent health problems uh, facing the world. And we have unbelievably minuscule data to say anything about how health systems are dealing with it. And so what the collaborators in this paper, the authors have, have done to, to deal with that um, gap is A, well, their indicators are limited to where the data are. 
but even where the data are, there are major gaps and, and there they, they need to impute and, and model. And um, what we're calling for in our comment is just a, a, a fundamental shift to uh, valuing these data and collecting them in countries um, in part so that we can get better estimates, but in large part so that the data actually serve the purpose that I think is originally intended, which is to improve systems and improve their performance. Just finally then, how do you think this paper and generally kind of this way of looking at health systems and indeed health systems themselves will look in a few years time post pandemic? Wow, that's a million dollar question. Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) this morning we were on a call with uh, colleagues in 15 countries uh, trying to track in a collaborative project in a way, responding to the to the very gaps this paper identifies, data gaps, trying to see if routine health information systems in those countries can actually help us track performance in something like real time, or at least quickly. You know, can we see how many women are not being delivered in the facility? Can we can we see how many children with diarrhea were probably not served last month as compared to the you know similar month, the same month in 2019? You know, we are trying to test and and many around the world are trying to, again, shift the focus back to the countries and to say, how can we use data systems that you have there to immediately inform the reaction, the the response to this uh, to this crisis? I think we are seeing a lot of innovation around that, a lot of willingness. The countries in our call today are bringing tremendous resources and energy to to asking this question together in a in a rigorous uh, way. So I'm seeing a lot of positives already in the sort of research sphere intended to improve systems. But on the, on the systems themselves, we're also hearing of uh, some amazing innovations. Um, maybe we're realizing not every visit needs to be in person. I think we're seeing that in high income countries for sure. Um, I think we, we, we don't wanna assume that, uh, that we can shift you know, 50 or 60% of those encounters uh, to, to be virtual because I, I think we're not gonna meet uh, the population needs very well. I speak now in my, you know, where my hat as a former physician. I think that that's difficult to visualize. But, you know, the rapid response from the system, the ability to to meet people where they are, and sometimes that may be at home and they can't come forward, um, the ability to communicate with populations, to to demonstrate the systems are there for them, uh, all of that, um, and, and the measurement of population need and, and preference and, and movement, uh, I think that's, uh, those are going to be important innovations uh, brought forward by COVID. It's very interesting to think about, isn't it? Well, um, Professor Crook, thank you so much for, for speaking with me today. It's uh, really been fascinating to chat with you, and um, best of luck for your future work. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation with, a podcast from The Lancet. You can subscribe to In Conversation with across several of our journals, and you'll be able to find us on Apple, Spotify, and many other podcast channels. See you next time.